welcome to the first episode of the new year for Running on Optimism, the podcast for amateur runners or really anyone channeling their inspiration to face challenges in running and life. I'm your host, Sonia Rita, and today's conversation is with Nita Sweeney, ultra-marathoner and award-winning wellness author of the running and mental health memoir, Depression Hates a Moving Target, How Running with My Dog Brought Me Back from the Brink. Nita's memoir personally helped me change my mindset to stay on course with my own marathon training to find my own way to complete those daunting 26.2 miles. Today, we get to talk about her running journey, mindfulness, and her new book to be released this summer on making any movement meditation. I am so thrilled to have Nita Sweeney here with me. And I have to say, uh, when I spoke with Jesse Baldwin, who you're familiar with uh, last year, and now Jesse and I are friends, so we talk often over Instagram, um, I told her that I totally fangirl over Nita Sweeney because I love your book, Depression Hates a Moving Target. It It really made me feel like I could get through marathon training. And I think it was through your book that I realized that this this journey for marathon training can look however I need it to look. But before we get into all that, I just want to go right into um, where your running journey journey started. Well, first, thank you. And uh, thanks to Jesse too, because I think she put a bug in your ear, which is very sweet. But thank you so much for the fangirling. no need to do that. I'm just a runner just like anybody else, but hey, thank you. Um, yeah, so it started with a social media post from a high school friend. I was in a very, very bad emotional place. I have bipolar disorder and I was in a very deep depression. And you know, I had gained a ton of weight, wasn't doing any kind of movement and was nearly suicidal. I mean, I really was at that place where I thought it, the world might be better better without me which now seems insane but that's what happens you're when you're depressed you don't think with your right mind and so i saw this post from this woman who was about my age about my size um not athletic like i was not athletic i was in marching band and we both rode horses and i think she might have been in choir i don't remember but you know we weren't athletes at all and i i saw it and she wrote call me crazy but this running is getting to be fun And I really thought we should like appoint a committee or something and do a wellness check. I mean, I just (laughs) thought, oh my God, Kim, what? And um, so I, you know, uh, hearted it or whatever you could do on social media at the time, liked it and said, go girl, go whatever. You know, I try to be supportive, even if, even if people, even if I think somebody's dream dream is ridiculous, which I usually don't now, um, I tried to be supportive. So I watched her and she just kept doing this interval training plan. I didn't look up the plan for a while. Eventually she mentioned it, it was couch to 5K. And eventually I looked it up and it said 60 seconds of jogging. Now it said a lot more than that, but that's what I saw and that's what I needed to see. And so I think I looked up the plan and it still didn't stick for a while. And I, I want to say four or five months may have gone by before I actually did anything. And then finally, I just got to a day where it just felt like something had to give. I mean, I was going to go one way or the other. And I remembered her and I went back to look at her posts and I looked up that training plan again. And I... um. I live in central Ohio and the winters here can be kind of harsh and it was turning from winter to spring. So it was March and the little flowers were starting to bloom. And there was just something about that renewal that made me think I should just give this a shot, just something, you know, just something, anything. Cause I was on medication. I was in therapy. I have a huge support community. I have a wonderful husband, great dog, you know, all the things that, um, uh, that you can kind of look from the outside and seem like there's every reason for this woman to live. And so I leashed up the dog as a decoy, really. We had been walking very slowly, but I even had trouble with that. So I leashed him up and took him down to this hidden part of the neighborhood. It's like a ravine area where the houses are set way up because it's a floodplain. And I carried a digital kitchen timer. And I think, I don't, 
I can't remember if I wore my Velcro tennis shoes. I think I wore some trail shoes because I couldn't, I didn't want to be seen in public in my Velcro tennis shoes or something. I mean, really, you can, I mean, the thing was what was going on with my mind. That's what the biggest thing I tried to convey in the book was just how crazy my mind was and still can be. And I set the timer for 60 seconds and I stood there for a long time until eventually the dog sort of looked at me and peed on a bush or something. And I thought, all right, you really have to, you're down here, just do it. And I, and this is going to sound crazy, but I jogged for 60 seconds and I didn't die. And I, you know, it, there was just something about that. And of course, it, there was a lot more than that. There were then, I think we, you walk for 90 seconds or something like that. And then you do the intervals and I did the whole interval. But that first step of just saying, I'm going to try this and then doing it. And yeah, I was winded. Oh my gosh, I was so out of shape. I didn't have a good bra and that was bad. <laughs> I figured that out later, but I was like, oh, no. Um, so, so many things I learned later. But that little, just that little post by my friend is what really started it. And, but as you can see, it's a chain reaction. It's not just the one thing. Part of it has to be internal, me wanting to change. Part mm -hmm. of it has to be support um, and safety. And for me, safety meant secrecy for a while. I didn't tell anybody because I was so afraid, not so much of pressure, but yeah, I didn't want to be this to be, oh, here she goes again. What's she going to try this time? Oh, this is going to be another failed experiment. And so I didn't even tell my husband for a while. He was a, everybody, you know, he was at work, everybody else, the neighbors were all at work and stuff. So yeah, but that's how it started. Social media post. So this was about when was it? 2015? When was this? It was 2010. 2010. Okay. Yeah, almost 12 years. It'll be the, in March. It'll be uh, 12 years since I started running. Wow. Wow. Like, and I had the, at one point I had the date written down someplace. Um, so it's like the 23rd or 24th, uh, some place in the 20s of March. So one of the things that I really enjoyed about your book is your detailing all of this, everything. Cause I, I remember I, it was almost like I was watching you or almost as though you made a visual documentary, honestly, of your running journey is how I felt because I could visualize everything. And I don't know if it's because there are so many parts of it that anyone can relate to that feeling of wanting to escape judgment of being too afraid to try something new of um, trying to move away from your comfort zone. There was just so many things to unpack. And to be able to just do those 60 seconds, I thought of it often, okay, like, it's true. You finished 60 seconds, you didn't die. What's next? Well, luckily I had a training plan, so I tried to follow that, yeah. So that's always helpful. Um, so in the book, you decided to join marathoner, uh, Marathoners in Training in yes. the Columbus community, which I understand now is a very vibrant running community. What was that like to kind of be a beginner runner um, and kind of enter this world of these people who have been in this community for, for longer than you have or had it at was, the time? It was much easier than I anticipated. It was much less painful than I anticipated. I, of course, built it into this whole ordeal and they were so kind and so friendly. And we're fortunate, um, Columbus is actually a very big city. Most people don't know that, but it's the 15th largest metropolitan area in the United States. And so it makes sense that we have this huge group and we have, there are several groups, but they have coaches for all kinds of paces. And so I just went way to the back and we're, we're the last runners before the walkers. And they had these coaches that welcomed us and what was interesting is I had in the weeks or maybe even months when I was thinking about running a half marathon and realized I would need more support than just the online community that I had joined, mm -hmm. I started meeting people. I mean, people that I knew and somehow running would come up in conversation because once you're running, that's all you can talk about for a while. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and people I knew who I had no idea they ran were in this group. And so it was just this weird worlds collide kind of moments. And most of them were much faster than me, but it didn't matter. And they were very encouraging. 
And so when I showed up, I didn't know what to expect. I um, went a little manic. And so I may have made a you know fool of myself on the first day. And that's okay. That happens to me sometimes. And I recovered. But they were just really helpful. And they had a, you know, they had a system where you just would run with your pace group and you might fall behind, which I did. And then, you know, you, the walkers kind of catch you or whatever. But it was it was very friendly. The runners really want you to succeed. I mean, there's only a few of the very, very fastest and a very few of the very, very fastest. Most of them are all really friendly, too. You know, there's a, a few in every crowd, but mostly it was very welcoming. And I was just surprised because I don't like crowds and this is a big group and, but they, you know, you, that's divided by pace. So that's a little smaller group. And then when you're on the trail, you're only running next to one person because the trail isn't wide enough for four people across. Well, or they shouldn't be running that way because the bikes come the other direction. So you're really only next to this one person or maybe the person behind you person you know it's not this big group activity and then they went out to breakfast and who doesn't like breakfast you know <laughs> so yeah i can have breakfast any time of day <laughs> yeah uh, so Me too. Me too. one of the things that i think comes up often is representation in the running community um and repre- representation of all different shapes sizes abilities Um, and for someone who doesn't like crowds and might be insecure about her abilities, how did you overcome that? Because that is, that, I mean, again, something that we can all relate to is this insecure feeling of judgment. How, how did you just get out there and do it? It takes, to me, getting out there and doing that is a feat of strength aside from the physical feat of running. Yes, and that might actually be a piece that's missing from the book, which I am actually writing about now, because in addition to writing and running, I'm also a meditator, and I've actually meditated longer than I have run and almost longer than I've written. And so what I was doing almost unconsciously was, I mean, not unconsciously, but what, what I was doing by habit was noticing my thoughts, body sensations, noticing those negative voices Mm -hmm. and doing my best to step forward even though they were there and watch them without pushing against them, without, it's really not about strength. It's more about just continuing to show up regardless of what your mind says. And it's, it's, it had, you get, you develop it by doing it in other places. And so I already had that muscle that, um, that I, I'm not sure I even knew I had until people, until people started asking me about that. Um, I also had, as I said before, other people that I knew that were in the group that I didn't even know. And so that was an extra little support team right there that, you know, so I had somebody I knew I could at least go, you know, say hi to this one or two, per, one or two people. I could at least go and say hi to one or two people because I they would be there. And then once we were in the group, the coaches were very welcoming, and you know, I just I just showed up. And I I think the other part of that, I mean, there's a lot of things. The other part of it was I really wanted to run a half marathon. I really wanted I like gold stars, and as it turns out, I like medals. Mm-hmm. I do. And I wanted to have marathon medal. And so that keeping that in mind helped. What's my goal here? What do I want? But but the moment to moment awareness of you just take this step, notice that these voices are yelling at you, let them drop that if you don't push back to them, they will go away on their own. And then you take the next step. And once I was in motion, it, it wasn't, you know, once I was going, it wasn't bad at all. I mean, it was really good, but it, it was just, like you said, it, so much of it is we're fighting inertia. We're fighting inertia. And so it's just getting that ball rolling. And I think that I have, I think I'm a, a person who has a lot of inner drive, even though I am depressed and do have bipolar disorder. I am a, a goal-oriented person. I, you know, enjoy achievements. So that drove me too. 
but it was just a lot of a lot of these different kind of tools that came together all at the same time one of which was the meditation practice that i had um just it was so ingrained i didn't even realize i was doing it and it was funny because once the book came out i realized oh my gosh that's that's something we need to write about because that's not i mean i mentioned that i meditate but i didn't really explain that the stepping forward was not sheer force it was not willpower yes it takes a tiny nudge of effort they call it right effort but a tiny nudge of effort to do that showing up but it's not about you know blasting through a brick wall or anything like that it's much more gentle force but it's still very easy so it's it's so important that you say that it is not sheer willpower because i think that um one of the things uh that people don't understand about depression is it so this comment is kind of twofold you said um that you are a very driven person even though you are bipolar and you have battled depression and then that this whole thing is not just a matter of willpower the important thing to to remind those who maybe don't understand what depression or anxiety or all these other mental health issues um, come with is that it is not mutually mutually exclusive you don't lack ambition because you're depressed or you're not depressed because you lack ambition you still have those things but your brain is not helping you meet those goals you just can't and um with that said, then it's not just a matter of, oh, well, my willpower is stronger. I can get up and run today. So it's just, there's so many layers to your story that I found in the book, again, that I related to and helped me be able to find my way through marathon training. Well, I'm really glad about that because that's, if there is a moral to the story, there is um if there's a moral to the story it is if she can do it you can it's you know if this chronically depressed bipolar uh still a, maybe a bit on the pudgy side what was i 50 ish woman you know middle-aged woman from central ohio can run a marathon you can i mean that's kind of the and it's and it's not even i mean it's about running obviously the book mm -hmm. is really really about running but it's more than that it's about showing up for life and and that that that's the term i want to say is just showing up just showing up for yourself showing up for your mental health and then once you get in the group and you start meeting people you make friends in the group you end up showing up for them and then after you've maybe run a race or been in the group for a season there'll be new people and then you'll be showing up for them and so you it again it's it's like this sort of train or this thing that gets in motion and it starts it just starts with this tiny little step just i, I mean sometimes when i i don't want to run now i will um i'll just say just put on your clothes just put on your running gear and then see what happens. And then it'll be, okay, just go stand outside. And then eventually I think I'm standing in my front yard, what are the, you know, the neighbors are probably, I mean, I'm always a little paranoid. And so eventually it's like, okay, just run down the street, just to the end of the street. And it, you know, sometimes I have to still do that, but that's the way it all started. And that's the way it stays in motion, but it's not, um, there is, force but it's this tiny force it's not this big effort people think of because you don't have it when you're depressed you it's sort of like walking through the world with weights all over your body and what's weird is when you then run even though you feel like you have those weights some of them drop away which seems completely illogical it's a complete contradiction and yet that was my experience so um, so yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing, but it, the misconception, I think I really appreciate you bringing that up and especially the stigma because the, the idea that depressed people are lazy is still very much alive, very much alive that, oh, if you really wanted it bad enough, you could do it. And I am not saying that at all because you may want it really, really bad and you just may not be able to do it. And, and so finding a way to be at peace with that 
and do the things you can do instead. Um, yeah, I, I, it's a, it's, I don't mean to make it sound complicated because it's actually not. It's really, really simple. You just, if you're sitting on the couch, you just stand up. You know, that's it. If you're in your car, you just drive to the trailhead. <laughs> I mean, it's really all those tiny little, it's like, you know, I think the book Atomic Habits is a really popular book right now. And, and that nails it because it's just these tiny little steps that when you put them all together, it you can make huge changes. But I can't look at it as a huge change because I'll get completely overwhelmed. So I have to look at what's right, right, right in front of me. Do the next thing that's right in front of me. Well, I think that's going back to that couch to 5K. I think that's how those things work because you take off small bites and the getting up and standing up. What if today you just stand up, you looked around and you decided to sit back down, but maybe tomorrow you stand up and you take a step forward. And yes. it's about those tiny bites when, when the world seems so heavy, when everything seems heavy, those steps are all we all we can do. Yes, yes. And just staying in there, just um, even if you're, if you can't stand up, you're on the couch and you, you know, maybe you can't do it today. Just because you can't do it today doesn't mean you can't do it tomorrow. And that's another meditative principle is about staying very much in the moment mm -hmm. so that what happens today doesn't necessarily predict what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, that's helpful too. But I, yeah, I just think I, I'll tell people just walk around your living room, do laps around your sofa. Right now, my sister is recovering from, she's had a couple of surgeries and she's had some illness and uh, she's just walking around her living room and that's enough. That's enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I think for, for any runner going back to, to that idea of staying in the moment, I think a lot of runners have a hard time taking a day off because, or two days off because they think that it will be a huge setback to their gains. Um, when today is today and tomorrow will be tomorrow and you'll see how you, how you can get out there. Right. Especially if you're injured, that's when it really comes up when you have to, you have to take that time off to let your body heal. Um, but even if you're not injured and it's just a rest day, it's when we get, at least I speak for myself, I get so much, um, you know, good neurotransmitter, happy vibes, happy neurotransmitter, happy brain chemicals from exercise and running that it's, it's really hard to take a day off. Um, I tend to do a little walking or something. So I'm still moving at least, but not the actual running. Um, try to follow yeah. the training. Yeah, I, I actually, um, last week my shin started hurting. I, I was helping Isabel put her foot braces on and um, her shoes on. And the way that I was kneeling on the ground, I, I hurt my shin, it's a little sore. And I haven't been running in a week as of today. And um, I wanted to keep moving and doing yoga or lifting. And then I was like, you know what? Instead of doing all that, I'm going to crochet for a bit. There you go. <laughs> and that felt good too, because I was doing something for myself. Um, yes. So I think that along the way too, you just learn a lot about yourself through running too, and what you really love and what's, what's important to you. And uh, so we had mentioned about something that you are currently working on, and that's your how to make every move meditation. Is that? Yeah, I think I think that uh, you know it's still it doesn't come out to August, and so mm -hmm. the title can get changed. Okay. I think the title is going to be "Make Every Move a Meditation." Okay. So that I know those four words are in it. Make every move a meditation. So if anybody wants to look for it, it's up on it's up for pre order already, but it'll come out in August of 2022, and. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's about how to make any form of movement a meditative practice with mindfulness, but it's very specific instructions. And then some theory where this all comes from, some anecdotes about myself and other people who do this. And I mean, there's one, um, I'm, I, I, again, I, I hate to say this because you never know what's going to end up on the cutting room floor. It's sort of like movies, you know, yeah. um, but I, I was, when I, in the research for this, I talked to a guy who does laser tag and he's a longtime meditator and he 
meditates while he's playing laser tag. He feels the, you know, um, his hand in it. Um, he is may, might be running, and so he'll be noticing his feet or maybe his breath. He'll notice his thoughts, all of that kind of stuff where you're bringing yourself to back to the present moment. And there's a quality called equanimity, which is a, it's a state of mind, a quality of mind. It's kind of a letting go or a balance state of mind where no matter what happens, your mind can stay calm. And it's something you try to cultivate through meditation. It's not something that people automatically have. Most people don't automatically have it. Um, and so he's noticing when he doesn't have equanimity and how, you know, if there's a way to get it, uh, if there's moments of rest. So I, I, like laser tag, you can meditate while you're doing laser tag. That was probably my favorite. And then another guy does burpees and uh, he does CrossFit. So he does, you know, jumping jacks and planks and uh, sit-ups and all the things. I don't know what all they do, but calisthenics basically. And he meditates while he's doing calisthenics and that was kind of fun to hear somebody was meditating doing burpees and because you can use your vision you can use hearing um, your breath of course which is what most people hear of any body sensation smell um, i talk in the book about um, smelling the lilacs in the spring and sometimes when i notice that they're really out there's that sort of one week or sometimes it's even just a few days here in central Ohio when the lilacs are just so fragrant. And that is my object of meditation. I will just, you know, move along and notice if I get a, a breath of lilac and feel that scent in my, you know, where it radiates through my body. And then, then notice when it's gone, notice that passing, that's impermanence. Um, so that's what the book's about. It's about that kind of way to make anything you do a meditative practice and it has performance benefits it has performance benefits um athletes pro athletes use those techniques and sometimes they're doing it even if they don't know it because i uh, you'll hear like if you listen to an elite runner they'll say something like um oh i i slowed, i lost my focus and so i that mile wasn't as fast as it could have been because i lost my focus well what is that focus that's that's the meditative piece. It's them being totally present with what they're doing. So their mind is exactly where their body is. And that's the meditation piece. So that's the next book. We'll see. How it well, all you goes. know, um, Elliot, Elliot Kipchoge, um, everybody knows Elliot. Uh, he, um, he smiles when he's in pain. So you'll see him running marathons and he's smiling, but it's because he and I imagine it's a, it's a type of meditation by kind of transferring whatever feeling he is and kind of changing, changing the tune of it. Yeah, that's a, that's a little bit different, but it's close. It's still, it's the meditative piece would be his awareness that he's not smiling mm -hmm. and then choosing to smile as opposed to just automatically smiling and not thinking about it, but it's about choosing having the the space between and to him it's probably so ingrained now because he's been doing it so long that he's not even thinking about it but for me it would be oh wait i am frowning i wonder what would happen if i smiled and then noticing what actually happens being aware to what actually happens so it's a little it's you, you have to be really careful well i shouldn't say let me let me say that again um it's about noticing because there's a trend in our culture of kind of fake positivity mm -hmm. and that is not what he's doing that is not what he's doing he has learned that that smile brings results for him and so it is a choice it's not a plastered on smile because he knows that when he smiles he performs better he feels better he it has a result as opposed to somebody, you know, gritting their teeth through the pain or smiling because they're supposed to be, um, well, I have to be, there's just a, it's a very tiny difference, but it's a very powerful difference. But yeah, he's amazing. I have to say it's a, what a role model. Oh my gosh. He's, cause he's such a, you know, the big heart. He reminds me of, he's like Meb in some ways. He's like that too, where he's just this dynamo person. And there's a lot of women runners too. Um, Dina Castor comes to mind. Now she's much more, because of her personality, she is much more of a visualization person and someone who would um, really try to drive her results. And that totally works for her. And if that, 
you know, if that works for you, my gosh, do it. For me, that actually drove me into a dark place. I don't think she, I'm, I'm, she probably has some anxiety, but I don't know, you know, I don't know that she suffered from real depression, um, dangerous depression. I'm not sure. I'm sure she has depressive episodes. I think she talks about that in her book somewhat, but, um, uh, but yeah, so all of those pro athletes, I think they're meditating, but don't realize it. But they're not necessarily meditating, but they're in the moment. When they're on, they are in the moment. And that's all meditation is, is trying to bring you back to where you're at. So. And I feel like um, running and, and, you know, your book is make every move meditation. So not just running, but for me and, and my husband has said it too. And sometimes I can tell when he's not, um, not in that space because now he's training, uh, for a sub three marathon. That's his, that's his new big goal. And I feel like it's a wonderful goal, but then you kind of, um, you might lose a little bit of why you're out there sometimes because you're so focused on that, on that goal for, for me. And there's so many parts of your book that I, now that we're talking about, I'm like, yeah, I think, I think that's where I got that idea. There was a time last season, uh, I guess the beginning of the spring, it had just rained or, or maybe the snow had just melted and it just smelled like soil and just smelled just like dirt. And there was a little bit of fog coming up because there is a warmer, like some warmer air coming through. And, and it was one of the first times that I chose to go out without anything in my ears. Um, and I was just so focused. And now that you mentioned the lilacs, because that is in, in your book, I think that's where I got that idea from. <laughs> like, I didn't even realize that until, until now. We get things from so many different sources. That's, you know, there's some things that you can say are original, but so many things is like this bigger mind that's feeding all of us. So that's cool. If you brought it, got it from my book, that's fantastic. But it doesn't matter. The fact that you're having that experience is what really counts. So that's lovely. And, you know, about your husband's sub three, Again, that's a huge opportunity um, to notice, okay, I've lost my joy in this. Can I still push toward that goal and find the joy at the same time? What does that feel like? What does that look like? Because I, I don't, I mean, I know these high level athletes that do that, that they can have joy. I mean, there's going to be pain, but there's going to be pain anyway. You know, life, I mean, I, I, I always feel like kind of the downer lady. It's like, I'm sorry to tell you, so sorry to be the one to tell you, but life is going to be, you know, you know, oh my gosh, you guys have been through it. So uh, I'm not saying anything that nobody doesn't know, but, uh, but yeah. So. Well, I think that's an important point and something I actually, I tell Iz all the time when she's dreading something. Um, like for instance, she doesn't like getting her MRIs uh, because she still lives with the tumor. Um, she gets an MRI to check the status of the tumor. Um, and she has to do it under sedation and she, she hates it. She's scared of it. And, you know, it's kind of a reminder that yes, this sucks. And I'm like, mama, I'm not telling you that it doesn't suck. I'm not telling you that it's not okay for you to cry. Of course it, this sucks, but you know, on the other side of it, you made it through it every single time. And that's something that I've learned battling my own depression. And I'm glad that I've been able to turn those experiences into, I guess, words of wisdom for her. Um, because there's been so many times and, and you know, where you're not sure how to get out of the darkness. Um, and so whenever I feel myself getting there, I'll let myself be there knowing that I will be back in the light soon and that, uh, that I've made it through darkness before and I will make it through whichever darkness it is again. That is, that is beautiful. That is beautiful. I'll add one thing to that is a practice might be to be curious about the darkness. What is darkness? What happens in the darkness? What am I thinking? What am I feeling in my body? What it, you know, what is darkness? Because so many times we run from it, we push it, we don't want it. And that's, I mean, that seems normal. That seems logical. And yet when we're faced with it, maybe that's another thing we can do in addition to reminding ourselves that we have made it through before many times and we will, you know, we will make it. Chances are we will, we'll make it again. Um, 
but what what is it what is it really what what is it because sometimes if we can actually be with the experience of it it's much less scary because the the scary are thoughts on top of the actual experience but that's um that alone can be scary being with it can be scary so it's it's the kind of thing where you know, practice by being bored in the grocery line first, mm -hmm. you know, be curious about boredom or if your nose itches, be curious about what your nose feels like before you go into, you know, how to get through an MRI with, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> or how to get through sedation or whatever, or whatever, you know, your fear about it too. Um, uh, about the, you know, you have a, it's a, it's a serious situation. And, uh, so I can, I, I, that's what I tell people. It's like, start with the simple things, start with the things that it's not that they don't matter, but there's not, as much on the line if you're irritable in the grocery line as opposed to you know, other things in your life. So. Yeah, and it's so funny that you mentioned about being bored in the grocery line. It's something that, um, you know, you read all kinds of parenting books and parenting articles, and it stood out to me because I let I let Iz do this too. Um, when she's bored, I let her be bored. Yes. And explore what that feels like. Um, yes. And now she, she talks to herself, not in a negative way, but she'll have like a whole like narrative and like in her head. And, and then she'll maybe realize, oh, I can do this with dolls. And, and so like, cause she's, she's an only child and, and we play a lot with her, but she definitely plays on her own quite a bit. Um, so that's such an interesting thing that maybe somewhere along the line, she's picked up a, I don't know, some, some life skill on understanding her own body and her own mind too. Yeah, I think they're so much wiser than we are in many ways. And they don't have that sh as much of the should stuff. I mean, it's coming, but they don't have as much. And we have all those parts that talk to us. I mean, we do, we have all those parts in our mind. So being aware of them and just letting them do their thing and not having to you know, push them away. That's the, that's the big piece that I think is the meditation piece, which helps a lot with running because, you know, sometimes like if you do a marathon at mile 20, mile 22, you're going to be ever so slightly unhappy for at least a little while. And so learning to be unhappy, <laughs> learning to be maybe in physical pain, most likely in mental pain, um, the training prepares you for that to a certain extent. But if you can practice that in the rest of your life too, it really helps on race day. It can really help with all of that. Well, yeah. And I think, um, again, part of that idea of I've been through really crappy stuff and I made it through it. Um, part, some of that definitely helped me get through the marathon um, because yes. it, it, it was not, it was fun, but it wasn't all at the same time. <laughs> Yes. Well, you, you finish. I mean, I, I, I don't know how you felt. I, I, I finished and there was a part of me that said, well, that's done. And then, you know, within, I don't know if it was hours or maybe the next day, we're all talking about, well, should we sign up for next year? And what, where are we doing? You know, can we travel to it? I, mean, yeah. I have not, I, I'm not a parent. I mean, I, you know, don't have I a stepmom, but I'm not a parent, so I haven't given birth, but I, it, I, I've heard it's like giving birth where you forget how uh, maybe painful it was. And so <laughs> that's why people have more than one child, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, what's so funny about completing the marathon too. And I was telling my husband this the other day, it's been cold here in New Jersey, as I'm sure it's been really cold in Ohio. And in the past, now uh, my basement flooded in September and it's still not done. So I don't have access to my treadmill. Um, but in the past, in this cold weather, I'd just go down on the treadmill and just get it done. And last week I went out and I actually said it out loud. I said, you're a badass because you finished a marathon. You can run in 17 degree weather. <laughs> That's great. Yes, absolutely. Brava, brava. Absolutely. And it's, it's so, it's so empowering. Um, and I think, you know, what I really enjoy about, you know, make every move meditation or whatever the title of it might be is that by making it all meditation, you can be empowered, even if you haven't run a marathon, if you've walked a mile, whatever it is, it can be what empowers you. Yeah, that's the idea is that 
Well, the, the ultimate idea is that it spills over into the rest of your life, that you are kind of always aware of the moment or you're kind of bringing yourself back to the moment on a more regular basis throughout the day. But um, because I wrote a book about running, a lot of the people that I'm connected with are people who exercise in some way. And so, you know, playing tennis, um, burpees, I mentioned those, <laughs> but golf, I mean, you know, any, any kind of sport kind of thing or any kind of movement, just walking your dog or walking with your spouse, riding a bicycle, anything like that, you can infuse it with this mindfulness kind of experience and make it a little bit more than just, oh, I'm just burning calories, which is wonderful. Nothing wrong with burning calories. Love me some calorie burning. But, uh, um, and that's what, that's kind of the thing that I had, uh, let me just start it, say it this way. I already had many mental health tools. I had therapy, I had meds. I talked about this before. I had a good support system. And so for me, movement was the missing piece because I'd been meditating already for many years. And so when I added movement and then pretty quickly was meditating while I was running, I mean, I discovered chi running, but even beyond that, I was sort of always doing it because um, it's, it's a great cure for boredom. Curiosity is a fantastic cure for boredom. So I was already kind of doing it. And so my goal here is to let other people who are already moving add the meditation piece because that might be a missing tool in their kit. So. That's so it, to the book. Yeah. It's um funny you mentioned chi running because that was going to be my next um, I guess comment question is as we're talking about meditation through movement, I remember in your book you mentioning chi running. And in that form, I found that you were practicing meditation. Like I'm I'm thinking back to the book and I was like, oh yeah, she was already doing that. Yes, yeah. I discovered the uh Danny Dreyer's book Chi Running in the library. And I thought, oh my gosh, chi, well, there's an Asian word. So I looked at it and I uh, took a class and it's it's sort of like anything else. You can do it. Well, it's sort of hard not. It's sort of like anything else in that you can run and try to be mindful, but not actually be meditating. But with chi running, there's always a form focus. So you always are bringing your mind back to something that's in your body. Now, you're also trying to possibly change something that's happening in your body. So you might be lifting from the crown of the head or noticing your footfalls, uh, noticing your cadence. It's a little more intentional, whereas meditative practice, you would just be with whatever arises. So if your cadence is too slow, you might just let that be. But Chi Running combines it because you can make the form change. And if you do it with this... Um, that they talk about gradual progress, which is very much like equanimity, where you're just, you're with what is there, awake to it. So then you, if you make the change, it's very intentional and very gradual. So it's a very balanced way of doing things, very Eastern kind of thing. But yeah, yeah, I was using those form focuses and that would be my, in a sense, an object of meditation. It was a little bit different, again, because I was trying to intentionally change my form as opposed to just noticing what my form was but it's still it's still it's so much overlap that you can't you almost can't separate it so yeah i was i was so excited to see chi running in fact i i had uh signed up to become uh certified as an chi running instructor not that i would teach but i just wanted you know more and more information about it and then the i got it in the book contract and that was you know got to wow. focus totally on the book so on the next gotcha. one yeah. Gotcha. So maybe, maybe in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I just want the certification mainly because I want, it's not even the certification, it's the information. I want the, the teaching, um, with very experienced teachers, the highest level of teachers and, and have them analyzing my form and, um, and teaching me the, it's almost a philosophy similar to, to, you know, the meditative practice I do comes out of Buddhism. Theirs comes out of more Tai Chi. Mm -hmm which is, a, you know, also a, a more martial arts, but, um, but there's so much overlap because they're common roots. They come from the, they have like a common root. It's like yoga. It has a common root with all this. So there's so much overlap. And I'm, I'm really fascinated by that. Plus they're great people. They're just really kind, wonderful people.
Well, I mean, when you're so in touch with, with just your body and yourself, I guess it, a certain level of confidence and security comes from that. And I think that, um, you know, I've always tried to be a kind person. Like I'm just not, like, I don't want to be unkind, but I do feel like in a way through running and, and that confidence that comes with it, you just tend to exude a different kind of, I guess it's the whole like love of self then translates to love of your neighbor or love of others. Yes, yes, I feel that, that the more that I take care of myself, not in a, I mean, not in a selfish way, but in a way that is more self-care, um, I have more energy to help other people. I have more interest in other people. I see the opportunities because I'm connected. It, it just sort of shifts everything in a very positive way. Yeah, yeah and I, you know, for, for Marco and I, and you know, we, we spoke before I started recording about my recent interview with, with Denny and he asked a lot of questions that I hadn't really thought of in, in the, in our running journey. It always just kind of started with that 5k, but what, but why, why running? Why did I, why did we find running? Why do my husband and I still continue through running? And it's a very, um, I tell him you need to go run. And he tells me you need to go run and not in the like, Oh, you need to get out of here. You need to go run. No, in the, you need to do this for you because we are better for each other and better for is when we do this. Um, yes. And back to kind of that idea of willpower um, and what that means for someone with depression and self-care and what that means for someone who's battling depression or self-care for anyone. Um, it's not necessarily that nanny petty <laughs> or a facial, <laughs> no. which it can the be. Bubble, the bubble bath. Yeah. Right. Yes, no. it can be. But yes. self-care can just, self-care to me is doing something that makes you genuinely deep down happy, like that glow. And it nourishes in a energetic way, um, maybe nutritional even, but it, it replenishes and nourishes. It's the, you know, the old adage, put your own oxygen mask on first kind of thing where you can't do that. You can't fill you know if you're empty you you got to fill that well so and it's I right use, now we, we are having that i mean it's so important right now i mean i just the world is depleted everybody is depleted this has just been a very difficult time and so i can't um and it's hard it's even hard to do that right now because there are so demands so many demands on people uh, so every little minute of that we can squeeze in is really, really important, more important than has ever been in my lifetime. Definitely. I use the oxygen mask analogy often, and I also feel very privileged, you know, um, for, for a while, it kind of seemed like the world was moving on without us. It was a group of us who were pregnant at the same time. Um, it's, and we all like, Isabel is born in August of 2013. And these are all like August, September, October babies. I think there was five of them at the time. And then she got sick and it felt like the world just kept moving and we were, we were stuck. And now um, I'm a stay-at-home mom for the most part. I work per diem at the hospital, uh, but I've been able to be with Isabel and she is just like, she's just a super kid. And she's kind of rolled with the punches and I've been able to be with her and Marco has been able to work from home. Um, and I put out this podcast in hopes that um, I can pay back some positivity into the world now that the world has stopped. And, and I just feel like um, we're, we're not battling that inertia. Right, right. It's, it's good work you're doing. Thank you for putting this out there because I think it we just need this. We need this. Thank you. And uh, so totally unrelated to the meditation and, and all of that. How was your ankle? So like yeah. that was the <laughs> that was the thing in the book that I was like, wait a minute, how is she doing all of this with her ankle? Like what it what is ultimately well, um yeah, a friend of mine, a good friend who's also runs in the same pace group, 
read the book and afterwards she said, so what, what did you do about your ankle? And I said, well, today I ran an ultra marathon, three fulls, 29 halves and 18 states and more than a hundred shorter races. I, I think that's it. And she said, so basically nothing. I'm like, yeah, pretty much nothing. I mean, what happened at the time, um, the bones are too close together. And so the muscles around the bones were getting stretched and sprained and strained. And so what I needed to do was acclimate all of that. Um, the bones will never get any further apart. It's too late. I could have fixed it when I was a kid. Um, but I had to train that part of my body to withstand, I mean, it's not punishment, but the, there is a pounding that happens. And so the gradual progress of just gradually doing more miles and it stopped swelling and it stopped hurting. And it, and if it hadn't, I probably wouldn't be running. I had one person, um, not a terribly pleasant review. Every once in a while I get some not terribly pleasant reviews, but that's what she said. She goes, oh my God, she ignored doctor's advice. How many people do you know that ignores doctor's advice? I mean, yeah, like all the time people ignore doctor's advice, but, um, but I knew that it was a risk. I talked to other people about it because I had the one doctor say I should get my ankle fused, which would have totally stopped my running. And I didn't do that. I thought, I, that can come another day, which I don't even know if that can, you know, I was a lawyer, not a doctor, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so, so um, this is going to sound really, really out there, but this is me. So you are running in 17 degree weather. I am not, I have been house jogging cause I am terrified of treadmills. So I, we live in a ranch house and so I can actually jog in my house cause I run so slowly that I can just jog in my house. And also in my basement, we pushed the stuff away from the walls and created almost like this little, very tiny little track. And so I can go around and circles down there. So I recently did 12 miles in my house. Um, cause I'm training for half and I had to do, <laughs> I know that's that should, the look. I think it's cool. <laughs> I love it. I think that's like, that's, it was, it was just, I, it was just, I get, I'm not sure I call it agoraphobia, but it's just this desire to not leave my house. And I had a gym I could have gone to. I would have had to wear a mask, which would have been totally fine with me. Um, but the idea of packing up and then changing and that the whole, it was just too much. And I'm, like I mentioned, I'm on book deadline. So that's really, really my focus. And yet I'm training for half. So I did that. And my ankle barked at me after that because it's a lot of turns. And I also tend to run barefoot in the house, which, um, cause I can, we have carpets and, you know, some hardwood floors, but it's pretty relatively soft surface. And so, um, so it, it didn't swell up, but it, it was just really tight. And so now what I do is I just do some, you know, toe points, um, ankle circles, although I can't do, you know, my right ankle will go all the way around, all the way around. It's very loose. My left ankle will just go a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right, up and down a little bit. And I just do what I can. Don't force it just a little bit. Um, I iced it. I put some um, deep blue or some, you know, liniment kind of thing. We would call it horse blue, but I grew up raising with horses, some sort of horse liniment on it. And, uh, um, and then I rested a couple days and it's fine. You know, it's fine. And that doesn't happen very often. Um, it's actually, I've been having, the issue I've been having now is more uh, blisters between two toes that as I age, I think I have a lot of arthritis and the one toe is hooking a little bit and that didn't happen. And so I have to get the, I have to get my little, I have little toe splay things. I have to get those out and start wearing those again. And, uh, you know, so I get, it, it's just different, but no, it, it was mostly, um, my body, uh, collected a lot of fluid in my ankle. And so it looked awful. I mean, it would be the size of a softball. It would be, you couldn't, I mean, you could tell it was a foot, but it was just giant and it scared me. Yeah. And so what worked was elevating it, icing it, and and continuing to gradually move it. Not, you know, the old um, the old acronym was RICE, mm -hmm. rest, ice, compression, elevation. Well, now they're saying mice. So the instead of the rest, it's movement, but it's very, very gentle so that you keep the um, joint lubricated by moving it or mobile by moving it. I'm not sure about the lubrication. I think there are some 
some um, fluids that move when you move it. But uh, um, so that gentle movement. So yeah, that's what I did is just, but, but very gentle. If there was any pain, that was the end, you know, just move it to the point where there was a, maybe a tiny bit of pain and then move back. And uh, yeah, that's what I did. So yeah, I ran a lot of races. That's what I did. Yeah. And, and I, you know, there's this part of me that I have to say, I'm kind of rebellious. And so there's this part of me that just wanted to prove that doctor wrong, which is stupid. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. You know, I really like, again, there's like, I just, I did have so many takeaways. So I had my stress fracture back in May and um, I said to my husband, I need to find a sports medicine orthopedist. Yes. And I said, like, in Nita's book, <laughs> I'm not going to a doctor who's going to tell me to stop running. I mean, he could tell me, but I'm not going to listen. And, but it's, and, and the more I listen to different podcasts and coaches uh, on different podcasts, that's kind of across the board. If you are a runner, you're not, unless it's broken or falling off, you're not going to stop running. So you need, I needed to find someone who is going to help me figure out how to get back to running safely. Or someone, or someone who, if they tell you, you have to stop running, you believe them because they've been in your shoes. That's what, see, that's what it is to me. It's almost an identification issue. The doctor that told me I should stop running and have my ankle fused. He's not a bad guy. He's not a runner. And so he did not understand. And his experience of running was, was very unpleasant. And he said that to me up front. So um, he's not a bad guy. He just is not someone who I could identify with. And so it would, it almost didn't matter what he said after, oh, I hate running. It's the stupidest thing ever or whatever he said, you know, I hate running as agony or I forget exactly what he said, but um, anything he would have said, I probably wouldn't have believed it, even if it agreed with what, you know, yeah. because I didn't, I didn't trust him because I thought he doesn't get it. He really doesn't get it. And at that point in my journey, I was still new enough. It still felt so much like magic. I mean, it still does feel like magic some days still. Um, but it felt so much like a solution that I had been looking for for such a long time that I, I just wasn't ready for someone who didn't get that mm -hmm. to take it away from me. And that's such an individual thing. There's a, I think uh, George Sheehan, the famous runner said, we're, we're each an experiment of one. We're each an experiment of one. And I'm in that group called the Dead Runner Society. And they always talk about your mileage may vary. So they'll give advice. They'll give these long, you know, rambling emails or Facebook posts with their, oh, I did this, I did that. And then at the end, it's hashtag YMMV, your mileage may vary, because we just don't know. So. Yeah, yeah. And we are all an experiment of one. I tell Isabel. And again, these are all just kind of things that I've told myself. Um, and, and I just translated it into mothering. Um, there is no such thing as perfect, right? Like how could, how could there be a perfect me if my DNA is like that unique? All it took was like a few changes for me to be me. How <laughs> I'm, I, I verbalize it to her in that you are perfect you because you are you are you. And so if we can carry that in in running, if we can carry that when we're looking at social media posts um, and, and oh, realize. Yes. Oh, the comparisons. Oh my gosh. That's so dangerous. I fall into that. I definitely, and especially as I age, wow, that I didn't anticipate how much the comparing would be. But I'm so glad you say that to her because, you know, that's what um, so many of us growing up, um, of course, I'm a kind of a generation or maybe two ahead of you. But in my generation, we didn't hear that. We heard you just work harder. You make yourself do it. You force yourself. You And there is some strength that comes from that. There is some backbone that comes from hard work. I grew up on a farm. Um, you know, there there is some resilience and things like that but that idea that i was enough just for who i was oh my gosh that's we still need to hear that i'll need to hear that 
the rest of my life. So yes, please continue. Thank you. That was beautiful that you tell her that. That's so cool. Eventually kind of reinvent yourself. And I feel like, again, tying it back to running, um, accomplishing these running goals, whether it's your first mile, your first 5k or your first ultra, um, along the way you've reinvented yourself. Yes. Yes. That's what happens. And you reinvent yourself with every race, with every training. And as a writer, you reinvent yourself with every book too. <laughs> um, I think that happens so much more than people think that there's this idea of arriving someplace and, oh, I'll, once this happens, then I'll be secure. Once this happens, I'll feel like enough. Once this happens, I'll know how to do it. And that, I, I don't think that ever really happens. I think yeah. we always are learning and, and we want to be learning, but you know, we, yes, we gain competence. There is benefit to this, not being my first book. There's great benefit to the, you know, the next book, not having, I know what I learned from depression hates a moving target. Um, and I know what I've learned from the races I've run, but on race day, you show up and you, know, you bring your training with you and then you just start and see what happens. I mean, really, because you just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it goes back to being in the moment, right? Yes. Yes. I was, I was trying not to go oh, Nita, you're <laughs> on your soapbox, but yes, that's what it is. It's about, um, you know, because we, even as we train, we're thinking about the next race. Now I'm, I'm, uh, intend to run on February 6th. I don't know when this podcast is going to come out, but, but, um, you know, I intend to run the, uh, uh, Columbus, it's called the winter warm up. And um, so I've been training for that. So you plan, but you can't plan tomorrow. You, you're, your planning is actually happening right now. So whoever you are right now is making that plan for tomorrow, is doing that training for tomorrow. And then on race day, you're here. You, know, you can't run mile five. You have to run mile one first, and then two, and then three. And so, yeah, I think it all comes back to being where you are. And no, I'm not perfect at it. And yes, I still struggle. And yes, I have to practice. No, but I, it's really, a, it's, a, it's just a huge tool in my wellness kit. Yeah. And I think um, being open about the fact that you have to practice at it every day is important. Um, I think that too often we see people who maybe look like they've got it figured out. They've been through this hard thing and now they're on the other side of it and they've got it figured out. But it goes back to that idea that we're constantly growing. We're constantly evolving as people and we're learning something new from ourselves every day and from the world around us as the world changes. Yes, yes. And from the people around us, from our dogs, everything, definitely. I am a big fan of the sweet innocence and just a joy of life. And I try to remind myself of that. And again, that's part of what running does is just thankfulness for my legs, thankfulness for my lungs, um, thankfulness for sneakers and pavement and a safe place to run. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's, that's the thing I never want to take for granted because there are people who live in places where it is absolutely not safe to run or people who the color of their skin makes it dangerous for them to run. And that is real. That is real. And um, I hope it is changing, but it is, that's a real thing. And uh, never, never want to forget that. Never want to forget that. And I think it's important. Uh, the more we mention it, the more we say it, um, even yes. as two white women, um, just putting it out there, acknowledging that it is a thing. Um, I think that in itself, I hope is helpful. I hope that it is well received uh, and with, with the best intentions. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Um, I will have all of your, your books in the show notes. Um, just so much to, to unpack here. It has been, I feel like this conversation for me personally has been a long time coming. I loved it. I loved it. It was so funny. I have to say when Jesse said, Oh, she, she wasn't sure about asking. I'm like, Oh, please ask me. I love to talk about, I love to talk about my books, but I love to talk about running and I love to talk about meditation and mental health and, you know, just all the pieces of things that, uh, 
they are my life, but they're so many people's lives. There's so many people struggle with this stuff and enjoy running and find solace in meditation. And, you know, so let's, uh, let's put it out there and, you know, see if we can make some, some good, good progress here. Links to where you can get Nita's memoir and where you can pre-order her latest book coming out this August are in the show notes. You can follow Nita on Instagram and Twitter at Nita Sweeney. And don't forget to check out her website, nitasweeney.com, all of which will be posted and linked in the show notes. And it has been 366 days of running on optimism. So as always, thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, let me know. Want to chat with me for the show? I would love to talk to you. Just email me at runningonoptimism at gmail.com. I hope to hear from you soon.